Hey lady, it's Dr. Dom here. If you like this show and you want to make your own, let me tell you about the free platform Anchor. It's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. You can add songs from Spotify and create any type of content that you are looking for. Anchor will distribute it all for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. On this week's episode in her space. You know, part of the conversation that I had was, then we need to go around this. Like this can't be something that continues to be a barrier to us elevating ourselves because we can't have the conversation. Fine. Let's talk about this in a different way because at the end of the day, we got work to do. And we can't do that work if we're anxious and worried and dealing with emotional pain and traumatized. We can't do the work. We just can't. Today's episode is sure to provide you with motivation, inspiration, or even a fresh perspective. If you have any aha moments or if you feel comforted throughout the episode, lady, please leave us a review and tell us what we're doing right so we can stay on track. Also, we release episodes every Friday, so be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit herspacepodcast.com and enter your email address to get updates about our live events and all of the new beginnings that we have for this year. Welcome to Her Space, a podcast dedicated to uplifting women like you. We're, We're your hosts, Dr. Dominique Broussard, a college professor and psychologist, and Terry Lomax, a techie and motivational speaker. In a world where Black women are often misrepresented and misunderstood, please join us as we initiate authentic conversations on everything from fibroids to fake friends and create a safe space where Black women can just be. Hey lady, it's Terry here from the Herspace Podcast, and I have a question for you. Do you want to start your own podcast? Have you been thinking to yourself, you know what, I want to start a podcast, but you just haven't taken the leap? If that's you, I got you. I'm hosting a free podcasting masterclass where I'm going to teach you how to create your own podcast from start to finish. I'll teach you how to format your show and pitch great guests. I'll teach you how to stand out in the crowd of nearly 1 million podcasts, but I'm also going to teach you how to get your mind right, okay? We're going to talk about how to overcome imposter syndrome and how to deal with fear on your podcasting journey. So even if you're not tech savvy, it's okay. This masterclass is just for you. So visit terrylomax.com and click on the pink link in the middle of your screen and register for my free podcasting masterclass. Again, that's terrylomax.com. T-E-R-R-I-L-O-M-A-X.com. I hope to see you there. Dr. Rita Walker is a professor of psychology at the University of Houston and fellow in the American Psychological Association. She is a researcher and licensed psychologist who has published more than 50 scientific papers on African-American adult mental health, suicide risk, and resilience over more than two decades. Dr. Walker recently made a guest appearance on BET's Saving Ourselves COVID-19 relief effort. Her work has been cited in the Washington Post, the LA Times, Ebony Magazine Online, CNN Health, and the Houston Chronicle. 
Her book, The Unapologetic Guide to Black Mental Health, explores the Black mental health crisis and gives a comprehensive roadmap to getting the care that many deserve in an unequal system. Dr. Rita Walker, we're so excited to have you on the HerSpace podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. Yes, yes. So we are going to start off with our quote of the day. And our quote will probably sound very familiar to you, Dr. Walker. You will have to continually evaluate whether what you are doing is working for you in life or you will find yourself in a rut that is hard to escape. I found that quote on your Twitter page within the last few days. So I know that it probably is really familiar to you, but it resonated with me so much in regards to our topic for today. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that because I just, I sometimes feel like I don't know, like I know what makes sense to me, but I don't always know how it carries through, you know, over social media. So that I appreciate you sharing that, that, that it really resonated for you. So, and, and I, I think part of why it resonated for me is because it, you know, mental health is, that's my background. But as I read over it, the thing that I think that really stuck with me is that like, that's something that I, that I tell people as well, maybe not using those exact words, but something along those lines that like, if you are at some point, if you are feeling distressed, you have to make a decision. Is this something that you're going to allow to continue or do you want to make a change? Yeah. And I think, you know, as psychologists, we learn to evaluate and that evaluation is one of the most important things that we do. But I don't think that the average everyday person thinks about like, okay, let me just sit down and assess what is going on right here. Is it working? Is it not working? Now, some people can say like, yeah, it's not working. But I think, you know, a lot of people just, we just keep doing what we've always done because it's what we've always done, whether it's working or not. And so, yeah, I think because of that background, you know, we are (laughs) inclined to encourage people to be intentional. And that's one of the things that we don't do enough of, I think, is to, to, to be intentional about our everyday decisions and our everyday actions. Yes, I I totally agree with that. And that leads me to one of our first questions. And it's how is strength in the Black community a double-edged sword? And I'm sure, you know, we've all heard reference to just the strength of the community and the strong Black woman and how meaningful that is. And obviously, it's important to have a mindset that one can be successful no matter what. Like, I don't care what they say. I don't care what anybody says. I have to know within myself that I have the ability to do whatever I need to do. Because obviously, if somebody is unsure or uncertain of themselves, then they can't, you know, deal with everyday challenges. They can't carry out their goals in life. They can't have success. At the same time, somewhere along the way, we got the idea in our minds that if we ask for help, then that means we're weak. And so it's kind of like we have to be strong no matter what. And then it goes back to the self-assessment and the self-evaluation, right? So if I'm strong, but if it's not working, then guess what? I got to do something different. I might need 
some help. But we don't do that because of the, the fear that we'll be perceived as weak. And that's that's it's unfortunate. I think that's a really great point that you made. And thinking about the world that we're living in today, there are so many people that have much more time to themselves, right? Some people are isolated alone. Some people are just at home a lot more. And so they can't really lean into the typical things that they could use as a distraction from themselves, right? So how would how would you encourage folks to process any difficult emotions that come up during this time? So whether it's guilt or regret or even feeling as though they lack purpose, like what should we do with those things when they come up during this time? Yeah, I think one of the first things that people can do is to start to just document, just in general, just document this time, how people, how they've managed this time, how they have been stressed out by family and not just writing down, say, I'm stressed out, but write down what is it about this situation is stressing me out the most. Because what happens is that we get in these internal dialogues in our head that persist and we refer to as, you know, rumination and we ruminate and we don't come up with any strategies to address the problem. So if we can first get the thoughts out of our head, write them down, they don't have to be complete thoughts. A lot of people, you know, don't like the idea of journaling. Like, what does that even mean? But just write down words, you know, stressed out, furious, and then later fill in the rest of the sentence, you know, furious at who, what did they do? And then come back and try and figure out, okay, what can I do about this situation? Do I need to have a conversation with someone? Do I need to go sit in the car? you know, for a little while, like, what do I need to do? And again, it goes back to the self-assessment, the self-evaluation, what's going on for me right now? What is in my control? Because a lot of what's going on right now is completely out of our control, but some things are. That's a really great point. That is something we talk about a lot on the podcast is what can you control? Right, Dr. Dom? (laughs) That is is one of my favorite statements or questions is what can you control? Yes, yes, yes. And so what are other tips that you would give to folks to like once they've gotten to this point where they are at answering what is within their control and they've determined what can they do about their situation? Like what are other tips that you would offer in terms of what we need to be focusing on during this time? Yeah, you know, I think that can be that can be tricky because one of the things I do like to tell people is we have to give ourselves a break. We have got to cut ourselves some slack. So for people who maybe are working from home and parenting from home and homeschooling all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's it's just too much. And I can say that from personal experience. It is too <laughs> Okay. <laughs> it is too much. I had to call somebody to help me not send an email to a teacher just Friday. So we have to be willing to give ourselves some slack. And I think I did see a post where somebody said they got up and then they just didn't feel like being up and they got back in the bed. Good. Good for you. Mm-hmm. So we have to listen to our bodies and and do what makes sense. You know, if we got to call in sick, <laughs> we're already at the house. Great. Just send the note, be sick. But on the other hand, I do think that there is a way to get some sense of accomplishment or 
achievement that doesn't have to be super complicated. And I talk about, you know, identifying a small project in the house. Like a lot of us have something that needs to be cleaned up or cleaned out, like some closet, some office, some space that we've been avoiding. And if we can find ways to create 15 to 30 minute steps of things we need to do. So if it's a closet, just go stand in front of the closet. Don't even do anything, but just look at it. Maybe write some notes. Like what's the first thing that I need to do with this closet? What's the first thing I need to do with whatever the task it is? Do I have an idea maybe for, you know, I have a cousin who is making lip gloss now. You know, did I tell myself I always wanted to make some lip gloss? What are the first steps to that? Because that can get us out of kind of the, you know, monotony of maybe being bored, maybe being frustrated. But it also gives us a sense of accomplishment, some sense of achievement that if Mm -hmm. we have accomplished something by the end of this thing, I think a lot of us will feel, you know, like, okay, that was time well spent. I wasn't happy about it, but I at least got some things done or one big thing done. I love that you gave us an actionable example that people can actually use, including myself, that we can use to feel that accomplishment. And I love that you talked about just giving yourself grace because this is a difficult time. You know, I think Dom and I had a conversation about this too, where it's like, we have to sit with ourselves and realize like, this is a very tough time to be alive and to be, you know, working and trying to raise children and just be here. You know, it's challenging for everyone. So I love the fact that you brought that up. Can you talk a little bit about some of the myths around mental health and and mental illness? Because I know that there are lots of myths. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I think we can start with the the most important one, at least to me, and that I do address in the book. And that is just the idea of mental fill in a blank, whether it's mental illness, mental health, mental well-being, because as soon as we hear the word mental, a lot of folks just check out. I had an uncle to tell me he started reading the book and he was like, oh, my goodness, I thought this was for certain people. (laughs) Ah. And and I didn't ask what he meant because I kind of knew. Right. right? You're like, I know what he meant. (laughs) I know what he meant. And and I think that if we can get away from just that label and what I talk about is this notion of psychological fortitude, because at the end of the day. We need to be able to use our minds, to use our brains, to function at the highest capacity of our work, in our families, trying to achieve our life purpose, trying to figure out what to do with that closet. Like we need our minds. But unfortunately, you know, for us as black people, we have a lot of threats in our community that it makes it makes it hard for us just to live our lives, you know, more or less being able to do more advanced kinds of things, more or less trying to live our purpose. But with psychological fortitude, that speaks to the level of endurance that we have to withstand those threats. And those threats will undermine our thinking, our feelings, our behavior. And when we lose our fortitude, then yeah, we can't expect for us to be able to function as our highest selves. And that's okay. Like for whatever reason, somebody says mental and it just stirs up all kinds of mess. Fine. Let's talk about psychological fortitude and our ability to be able to function as whole people on an everyday level and the kinds of things that we need to do to keep our psychological fortitude at a high enough level in order to be 
happy and healthy. Yes. As I'm listening to that, I'm like, yes, yes, yes. I need to get your book and read it from front to back and pass it along to multiple other people who like to shy away from having that conversation. I totally understand what you're saying when, when you said that people hear the word mental or sometimes, and sometimes even if they hear behavioral health, anything that is, that has to do with the mind, they will shut down or try to shut you down when you try to engage in conversation with them. Yeah. And I, it's funny because the publisher asked me, you know, well, what is that about? And I, (laughs) I don't know. It just, it just is. It, it just is. And they really wanted me to unpack that. And I couldn't. And since I couldn't, you know, part of the conversation that I had was, then we need to go around this. Like this can't be something that continues to be a barrier to us elevating ourselves because we can't have the conversation. Fine. Let's talk about this in a different way, because at the end of the day, we got work to do and we can't do that work if we're anxious and worried and dealing with emotional pain and traumatized. We can't do the work. We just can't. Wow. So deep, so deep, but it's so true. And it makes a lot of sense. And I'd love to talk a bit about, you know, how your thoughts on how the coronavirus has affected the black community and how we can use this time to address our mental health needs. So I know that we've seen a lot of, you know, we've seen a lot of different news stories about how this is impacting the black community. And I know you talk a lot about inequality and discrimination and race. So how does that all tie in together? And what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, as you all know, it's it's taken different forms. And one of the ways that it started up was some of those superstitious ideas that we can't get it, that it's caused by 5G. And I guess that meant we were supposed to ignore it. I didn't know what to make of those things. But most importantly, it brought to everyone's attention the reality that many of us have, have known, that we that we know that there are tremendous disparities in health problems and death related to serious health problems like diabetes and hypertension. Like we've known that for a long time. So when those statistics actually started to come out, there are a group of us that talk regularly, we weren't surprised. Like it was kind of like, well, what would we, what would we expect? Right. But I think it does give us as a community an opportunity to bring together two groups of people. And so one of the groups is is the experts. We have experts in our community who are public health persons, who are psychological scientists, who are medical professionals, who have solutions. And that community needs to connect with the community that has resources so that we can develop wider spread initiatives because there are some initiatives, but they tend to be localized so that we can develop initiatives that make sense for us. I do think a lot of times, you know, there are things that happen that we're like, well, that doesn't have anything to do with me because we Mm -hmm. just, we just operate differently as a culture. So we, we need intervention for us. We can't, continue to wait for the help that's just not coming. If it's if it's not mm-hmm. gotten here yet, it's not coming. So this is our opportunity while everybody's at the house 
to come together and figure out how we're going to address health disparities from within our community. And I think, you know, I totally am with you on that because, yes, as I was reading the articles that were coming out, I was I was reading it from that same lens of, okay, so this is news to who? Because (laughs) I was aware of this already. Right. And looking at the release date for your book and as you're talking about, like, how do we connect resources? And I'm like your book, the timing of your book is perfect, right? Because I think that all of the information that you're providing is information that we all need, that the community at large needs to read the book during this time period and figure out like, what are our next steps? How can we unite as a community? We need a game plan. <laughs> like we, we need to start. So kind of like I was saying, you know, open up the closet. We've been standing there looking at this closet door for way too long. We know the closet door is there. We know there's a mess behind it. So yeah, we need a game plan. We need an action plan because the help isn't coming and it's not sufficient for certain aspects of the community to say, well, well, I'm fine, you know, and my, my people are fine. Like that's, it's, it's not okay anymore. It's just not. And when I hear that, I, I'm with you both. I'm just like, I, we definitely need that. We need community. We need to be supporting each other. I guess my question, and we, I, I, we don't need to have an answer for this, but I do want to pose the question. Do you know what that would even look like? I feel like there are so many instances in history, even where Black people did try to get on one accord and we did try to come together as a community. And we've been successful with different initiatives and different communal efforts. Sometimes we see that you know, living in a system of white supremacy, our efforts are sabotaged. But I think in this world with the digital age, I think that we can definitely do this. But do you even know what it will look like? I'm just curious when I think about that. I would have to think about that, but I'm willing to think out loud. And there would have to be some obviously nationwide coordination of point people across the country who are leading in their areas of expertise, because we do have a lot of people who try to lead outside of their lane. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) You know, but Mm -hmm. people in their lane, you know, who have expertise to communicate well, because communication is critical, but, and who are open-minded people, because, you know, a lot of folks, because of their strength, have a hard time maybe doing the problem solving part. Like I got the solution and I don't need to hear from anybody else. But, you know, we have people who are willing to work together, who have trust in one another. And I know trust is another issue, you know, Mm, that we have inherited, but who can have trust in one another to marshal the experts to say, okay, what do we need? Because again, this is the assessment part, right? What do we need? We need nationwide communication. We need people to have a place to go to, to get tested to see, you know, not just who has diabetes, but who is pre-diabetic. Like there is just so much information that is immersed in these communities. And so, and I'm going too far down that rabbit hole, but, you know, getting those folks coordinated who can assess what the problems are, finding the people who have plans in place, we can look at the initiatives that are working. I know there are folks in Detroit, you know, who are working in those communities in Michigan where COVID-19 has disproportionately affected those individuals. 
find out if we can transfer maybe their solutions to wider spread communities in Michigan and maybe some of the communities in rural Georgia. But how does that work? So we need experts who understand rural health. Like there are so many different levels to these problems that we first need to figure out what all the levels are, identify who the experts are, who are humble people who can communicate and then get the resources we need from the people who maybe aren't the experts, but who have the resources to then bring it all together. And it's not going to happen overnight. You know, we do have to have some amount of patience, but we can do this. And, and you're right. It does get sabotaged and we can look back and say, OK, how do we think that got sabotaged so mm-hmm. we can avoid the sabotage and the detour? Well, we might have to do some detour, but we can avoid <laughs> the sabotage. Yes, yes. Like we, we have the brilliance in the community and sometimes the brilliance gets lost because people are anxious and worried, you know, because people are afraid of what's going to get hijacked. You know, because a lot of stuff just gets hijacked. But, you know, but we can do this. I I am certain that we can do it. We just we just we just got to do it. (laughs) I am with you on that. But I think, too, when you say experts, I think that what we have to do also is remind ourselves of how intelligent and resourceful we are, even if we don't have the degrees to back us up. Right. That there are so many of us within our community that are experts in, like when you mentioned like rural Georgia, like I like I'm sure that there are people out there working in rural Georgia who don't have the alphabet soup behind their name, but they know what they're doing in their community and it's working. Yes. And so I think having that willingness to tap into our natural strengths of identifying that we don't have to fit the white paradigm of what an expert is. Mm. Yeah. And too often, and I, I think about this a lot of times, like too often we throw people under the bus because of who we think they are or who we think they're not. And also maybe because of like, past issues. Well, they did this over here. And so we can't use their excellence in this way. Mm. And, and yeah, we, we have to be careful about that. I I agree a hundred percent. And thinking about your book, Dr. Rita, the unapologetic guide to the black, to black mental health, what inspired you to write your book? Well, it was the suicide rate going up across several years. The first time I saw the statistic, I thought, okay, maybe that's just a blip on the screen. We get these data every two years. And so the second time that the data came up, I thought, okay, this, this might be here to stay. And I pay attention to that work because my, my expertise is in understanding suicide and suicide risk. And so I thought, you know, probably not many people are paying any attention to this. And children ages, black children, ages five to 11 years have the highest increasing suicide rate. And my assumption was that, yeah, very few people knew that. And I was one of the few people paying attention because I care about black suicide. So I realized, okay, somebody, hello, you know, I need to tell people, hello, this is a problem. And then as I was writing the proposal, I realized, okay, I have to talk about my theory because I've been working on, you know, my theory of black suicide for a couple of decades, which is related to the loss of identity. 
So one mm. of the things I have found across my studies is that people who have a positive sense of what it means to be Black, of what it means to be of African ancestry, those folks are less likely to, to seemingly even think about suicide. And so I saw positive cultural identity as protective. But I also know that with our younger generations, we see more and more people or children and youth, adolescents who are like, I'm just American. Mm-hmm. And that's cute. But <laughs> <laughs> but we need our culture. Yes. And, and so I, ha- you know, so I said, I have to talk about that in the book. And then I realized, but this is connected to larger issues that that we've been socialized, that if we can be more like mainstream white European American or Eurocentric society, then we will be OK. And no, but I know that that didn't come, you know, that didn't come out of nowhere. And then there's also racism. So, yeah, so the book just kind of went in some different directions, but started with me really wanting and needing to bring attention to black suicide in our youth. I'm not a child psychologist, and I I rarely tell anyone that children are not my area of expertise. My focus is on adults. But my thinking is that if we can, if I can help adults, then adults can be responsible for our children. Yes. Yeah, that is so heartbreaking. You said five years old to 11 years old. I feel like my mind is still trying to grasp that. And it just, it's so heartbreaking that those little black, I mean, they're babies, you know, just little black children that just don't, you know, feel like they have hope. How can parents and caregivers, how can they support young children? I know you're not, in the, you know, you said you're not a child <laughs> psychologist, but I'm just thinking about the suicide aspect and then the coping mechanisms that you typically offer. What can we do to see those signs in young children and, and support them? Well, I do think the thing the probably the easiest thing is if a child expresses thoughts of wanting to, to die and saying, I don't want to live anymore, that rather than being dismissive, because like, you know, what second grader is like, oh, yeah, you don't want to live anymore. Like most mm-hmm. parents are thinking, oh, yeah, OK, sure. You're being dramatic. Yeah. No, don't dismiss that. Like, take time, follow up, say it sounds like you're having a hard time today. Tell me what's going on. So open up the dialogue, be willing to have a conversation. Maybe the child is older, maybe they're 11 years old and they're like, I'm not, I don't want to talk and say, okay, that's fine. I am here. The single most important dimension of suicide prevention is being available, but being non-judgmentally available. Mm-hmm. And so there's no room, as you might imagine, for for being dismissive in that. But there is another part, you know, when we attend to children, we do just have to pay attention to any change in their behavior. So a child who's usually happy, happy-go-lucky, maybe is looking a little bit, you know, chronically upset or anxious, having sleep problems, like there's a change in behavior. So whenever there's a, a significant change, and I can say that, that it's worth paying attention to and finding out more about what could be going on. It could be a dietary change. But it also could be maybe bullying at school. There could be something that's affecting the child that's not just diet or poor sleep. And it's worth investigating. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yes. And those those markers to pay attention to, to me, are very similar to changes that we have to notice in ourselves as, as adults. Yes. 
And so as I was listening to you, one of the things that came to mind for me is thinking about this current time period. And I know we keep coming back to where we are right now in this current time period, but as adults, we are trying to make adjustments for ourselves. And so I think that some of the things that you mentioned are also good for us to look at in our children as well during this time. Are there any other tips that you would offer for our children, particularly during this time? Well, actually, it it goes back to adults, to be honest, because it's hard for adults to do what I'm suggesting when they are overwhelmed. You know, Mm. so an adult who hears from a child, you know, I want to die or I don't want to live anymore, that that adult may not have the wherewithal to be present and to be open if they are exhausted. And so adults need to be able to take the time out. And I mentioned going to the garage because I've sat in my own car and turned on my own music in the garage, in the car. Okay, okay. And I was happy, you know, and I enjoyed myself (laughs) for about two good songs. And I was like, okay, now we can do the next thing. Great. (laughs) And so we have to be able to reset. But sometimes, you know, there are children who don't communicate as, because children don't communicate the way that adults do. And so they can be invited. I mentioned about adults doing some writing. A child can write, a child can draw. Hopefully there's some crayons or markers or something they can draw, you know, to express themselves. And that's, like I said, even though I'm not a child psychologist, I do understand some of our principles in what we do to get children to, to communicate what's going on for them. And again, just paying attention, just being attentive and being present and cut the children some slack too, because they are missing their friends you know, and they're having to deal with a new teacher who is probably not trained as an educator. The kids have a lot that they're managing also. Yes, I I completely agree. I think that, you know, I've heard young children say, oh, I, mommy, I need a mental health day. Mm, mm -hmm. Okay. So one, kudos to you for communicating that, for articulating what your needs are. And let's talk about why you need this mental health day. Like what is going on that you need a mental health day today? And what does that look like? Because I know if if I heard any child say that, I would ask now, tell me, what does that look like for you? Because again, that's more information. It's more insight to how they're thinking and how they're feeling. It sounds like leaning into curiosity during this time, especially when interacting with, you know, whether it's your partner or two adults or even your children, it sounds like that would be really beneficial. And so I want to lean into curiosity and I want to ask, you know, what about the book is unapologetic? Well, it's unapologetic because it really is for us. And, you know, for anyone who has to navigate spaces that are primarily not us, we oftentimes do things differently to to be successful, that the way that we operate maybe in work settings or places where our colleagues are primarily white European Americans, you know, we just have to navigate that space differently. And it looks different, you know, for different people. You know, some folks decide they're going to wear their hair straight and there's no option to be natural. People talk differently 
you know, maybe they use different language so that they don't have to explain what they mean using certain vernacular. And so I wrote the book with the intention of talking to the community and not having to apologize for that. And I already had a troll over the weekend that said, well, you could have written this book for anybody and instead you wrote it for Black people. Uh, yeah. Wow. Wow. You like, know, the trolls are going to come regardless. And, yeah. and I, you know, and I think that goes back to you being unapologetic. Like that is why it's titled unapologetic. It is, like you said, it is for us. And sometimes everything doesn't have to be for everybody. And that is okay. Can we take a quick little detour? We're going to get into the next segment, but I just have to say, they have everything else. We need stuff for us. You know what I mean? <laughs> when we're being cultural, we got cultural appropriation and racism and all kinds of things that we've been through. We need our own spaces. So come on now. They better go ahead. <laughs> so anyway, Dr. Rita, we want to change up the energy of the interview and we want to invite you to our OU Clatchet segment. So we'll tell you a little bit about the segment and then we'll dive on in. Okay. Now. Because we recognize, appreciate, and celebrate the multifaceted woman and believe that it's okay to be classy and ratchet, you can still be elegant and dance to strip club music, we want to invite you to the OU Clatchet segment. Okay. So do you take on the challenge? I accept the challenge. Yay! (laughs) All right, let's dive on in. (laughs) All right. So our first question... What is the most spontaneous thing you've ever done? Oh my goodness. I also have a, I can I just, dis- I have a bad memory. And so sometimes I do stuff and I'm like, okay, I got to repress that because <laughs> there's no telling. So most <laughs> spontaneous. I do remember a situation. It was funny because my sister dared me to talk to some guy at a club. And my sister's much more conservative than I am. Like she would never just go talk to a random person in a club. And and I don't know why she dared me because I, I don't meet strangers. And so I'll just go, you know, talk to anybody for any reason. And I'll create a reason on my way to go talk to them. So, yeah, so I'm sure it was an occasion because it was intentional because my sister dared me. And I was like, OK, this is easy. I could probably if I thought about it longer, could come up with some other things. But that one comes to mind most readily. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I like how you said that you repress some of those things. <laughs> right? Yes. Like, I can't believe <laughs> I just did that. But yeah, but I also I mean, I I. I think I get bored easily. And so sometimes mm-hmm. I have to mix things up just to amuse myself. So, yeah. I know that's right. And okay, this is a random question. I just have to ask Dr. Rita, what's your sign? Just curious. Gemini. Gemini. Okay, okay. Got Gemini in the house. All right. <laughs> We're going to go ahead. I'm just getting into horoscope. So I love to ask people like, oh, what's your sign? Do a little research. But and what's I want to know. I, can I- I'm a Sagittarius. Yes. Oh, Sagittarius are great people. Sagittarius, but I have a cancer rising. And so that kind of balances out that fire, which is, which is, which I've learned recently where I'm like, why I'm too emotional and like very, you know, just a little different vibe. And I learned about my rising and I was like, oh, okay. What about you, Dom? I am a Scorpio. 
Scorpio. So we're very close. (laughs) All right. So sorry for the detour there. I just had to ask. But our next question is, what's your biggest pet peeve? Oh, my goodness. I probably have several. In fact, I was recently thinking I could probably write a book because I was and I was prompted by this because I saw something that was important that was that was misspelled. And I have a a pet peeve about misspelling, which is sad, but it's true. And probably a close, maybe this is number one, and that's a close number one, is people who cross the street in slow motion. So (laughs) I, I let the pedestrian cross, but they're like walking in slow motion. And I've got this you know it's playing in my head I hear Samuel Jackson you know knees to your chest knees to your chest like (laughs) you need to get across this process I can go about my business yeah okay I love it you gave us two and I love the honest answers there I'm I'm digging it (laughs) me too because misspellings are my pet peeve as well yep I was just thinking about that I love Um. it (laughs) okay so the next question what is your biggest guilty pleasure? Oh, chocolate. Oh my goodness. It's bad. It's it's bad. It's chocolate. How bad? We want to know. How bad is it? How bad is it? Well, I bought today. I went to Walmart because I needed to get some packages to send, you know, send some packages. And I was in the checkout line and I thought, ooh, Reese's peanut butter cup. And so I got a Reese's peanut butter cup and then I thought that might not be enough because I don't have any chocolate. <laughs> and so I got the big Kit Kat, but with yes. the dark chocolate, because if it's dark chocolate, mm-hmm. it's better for you. Right. There you go. Go yeah. ahead, girl. So then I looked at it and I, I saw that it was two and a half servings because I'm a, I am kind of obsessive about what I eat, but chocolate and bad. So it was two and a half servings and there were five of the little strip things, you know, in a Kit Kat. Mm-hmm. And so I said, okay, then two of these must be one servings, five of the little strips. Y'all, I Uh-oh. eat that whole Kit Kat. It's done. Yeah. I, I'm with you. No judgment. No judgment. Cause I, it's hard to, it's hard to have discipline when you're like, it's just a little pack, right? Like might as well just finish it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I know better, but I knew when I bought that candy that it was over. Yeah. You might yeah. as well go for it. If you bought, if you bought it, you might as well indulge. Yep. Yeah. I totally get it. Now, Dr. Rita, our last question for you is what do you do for fun? It's hard to think about fun (laughs) when I'm, you know, in quarantine. Yeah. (laughs) But okay. So for fun. So my favorite thing to do is to dance. And so whenever I can get a group of friends to go out and go dancing, that's my probably my number one thing. When I was in grad school, people would be surprised (laughs) that I was actually the person out there doing dance competition like dance battles <laughs> I was dance battling as a grad student and and you know and younger I had to give that up but yeah I love to dance yes thank you for sharing I feel like we should have asked our other question Dom is she gonna twerk or two-step that's usually what we ask or sometimes in our oh you clatch it segment Dr. Rita so because you're a dancer I feel like we have to add that one on there are you gonna twerk or two-step if you had to choose if I had to choose between a twerk and a two-step, yeah, I'd probably have to twerk because a two-step. Hey. 
<laughs> yes, that's what we love to hear. Well, Dr. Rita, we want to thank you so much for your commitment to empowering our community, for the research that you've done, for your work, for everything that you stand for. We're definitely going to add a link to your book in our show notes so that we can all purchase our copy and support because it's so important for us to support one another. And we'd love to know where can our listeners find you? I am at RitaWalkerPhD.com. But I am also on Instagram, Dr. Rita Walker, and Rita is spelled R-H-E-E-D is in diamond A. I'm on Twitter and I am on YouTube with Rita Walker, but it's not hard to miss R-H-E-E-D is in diamond A. It's not hard to miss. Yay. Well, thank you so much. Thank you both. Hey, lady, it's Dr. Dom here from the Herspace podcast. Do you have a burning question you're dying to get feedback on? Do you want an unbiased perspective on a situation you're facing? If so, visit herspacepodcast.com and click Ask Dr. Dom under the Start Here option. Every Tuesday, I'll choose a few questions and answer them at random. Thanks for joining us today in Herspace. Please note that our show may contain conversations about self-help, advice, self-empowerment, and mental health but it is by no means meant to be a substitute for an ongoing formal relationship with a trained mental health provider. If you or someone you know is in need of mental health care, please visit the Therapy for Black Girls directory, Psychology Today, or contact your insurance provider. If you liked what you heard and want to keep the conversation going, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at HerSpacePodcast or check out our website at herspacepodcast.com. And before we meet again, repeat after me. There's something inside of me that's bigger than any obstacle. We'll see you next week, lady.